Welcome to a healthy bite. You're one nibble closer to a more satisfying way of life, a healthier you, and bite-sized bits of healthy motivation. Now let's dig in on the dish with Rebecca Huff. Today we're here with Dr. Nicole, and your position at Custodio is? Um, I am a clinical psychologist who does some brand ambassador work for them. Okay. Um, we talked once before, but just I was getting some information for an article I was writing, and I reached out to you again for this interview because this topic keeps appearing in headlines um, just within the last week. Well, by the time this airs, it'll be longer, but recently here in Tennessee, um, in Manchester, Tennessee, a teenager actually took his own life after being cyberbullied. I had seen several other, I think there was an episode um, in California where cyberbullying became bullying and a young man lost his life. And so I just thought this would be a good time for us to bring to people's attention that this really is a problem that we need to be more aware of and just that you could help us to understand as parents and also grandparents and teachers how we can help our kids. So first of all, I, I think it's good to define kind of what cyberbullying is because I know there's a lot of kids out there that are being raised by their grandparents mm -hmm. or other older adults who maybe don't really understand what cyberbullying is. Can you explain that to us? Sure. And, you know, honestly, even a lot of uh, parents in our age group struggle with understanding because it's not something that we dealt with um, when we were in school, certainly. And really the definition of cyberbullying is uh, harassment, verbal comments, threats, things that constitute what we typically think of as bullying, but that happen um, through the use of technology. So happen online, um, on social media, that happen um, in gaming um, you know, apps or chat rooms, that happen you know, via email or other kinds of things. So it's really what we typically think of as bullying, but happening using technology and the internet as a way to um, disseminate that. And, you know, one of the big issues is that we live in a 24-7 connected culture um, where kids, uh, by and large, have access to these devices and to the internet all the time. And so the prevalence of this is really increasing because now instead of um, kids just having to worry about potentially being bullied during the six or seven hours that they're at school or, you know, something like that, this is going on now 24 hours a day um, via apps, via online chat rooms, things like that. So it really has grown into a very prevalent problem for today's youth. Uh, yes, it is a huge problem. And I think um, from the statistics that I have been looking at, cyberbullying as well as bullying is actually on the rise. Um, mm -hmm. I looked and the statistics show that uh, almost 80% of children between the ages of 11 and 15 have encountered some type of online harassment. And yeah. like you were saying, it's not just um, social media. It can be gaming forums. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So what, why do you think that children are not always willing to tell their parents or teachers or someone who can help them when this is, I mean, it's, it's one thing. I know it happens um, in person with bullying and kids yeah. don't always want to tell their teacher, but it's another instance with cyberbullying. So why do you think that a child maybe wouldn't tell someone who could help them? 
Well, it's an important thing to cover because the reality is that we know that only around 20% of kids and teens who experience bullying in any format, whether it's in-person or cyberbullying, report it to anybody. Wow. So this is an important thing for adults to understand. And, and there's several reasons, but really it comes down to very often part of what bullies do is either overtly or covertly threaten the person that they're bullying about what will happen if they tell or if someone finds out. So there's an intimidation or a threatening factor to that that really does um, make kids on the receiving end of that fearful of letting anybody know because they're worried that it'll get worse. They're worried that the bully will do something terrible to them or, you know, to a friend or a family member. So there is quite a bit of fear around that. And that's one of the big reasons. I think another reason is that many kids, um, especially as they get older, are embarrassed. They feel like, you know, there's something wrong with me that this is happening. This shouldn't be happening to me. I'm somehow bringing this on myself. Um, you know, this isn't something to talk about. And this is why it's so critical that we talk about bullying in schools at home to, to normalize it, to put the conversation out in the open so kids don't feel like this is a secretive thing that they can't talk about. We want kids to feel like this is something to talk about and that you're not going to be seen as weak or bad if this is happening to you and you bring it to people's attention. Um, and, and I think, you know, a, a third piece is that kids just feel like it's not going to do any good anyway. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but a lot of times when kids are on the receiving end and they have brought it forward, there's not a lot of action taken with it, which leave ki leaves kids feeling like it doesn't matter whether they say anything or not, nothing's going to happen. And I think particularly in the realm of cyberbullying, kids feel like, well, no adults are seeing or hearing this. It's not happening at school. And so who am I bring this to? So I think all of those issues together really help explain why it is that more kids don't come forward. Yes, that, that does explain a lot. I've often wondered what, what kind of goes through their minds because obviously that's not something that I dealt with uh, mm -hmm. in my teen years. Um, but I also wondered if perhaps part of the reason I feel like maybe um, teenagers might think that they are going to end up getting punished by their parents. Mm -hmm. Like, sure. you know, maybe they're going to have reduced phone privileges or, you know, mm -hmm. they will be removed from their social media or whatever so that they aren't able to do the things that they enjoy on social media. So I feel like mm -hmm. a lot of times they maybe think it's a trade-off. So I don't know, but I do, I did read some of the statistics also about cyberbullying and how it results in some serious emotional problems. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, first, maybe some symptoms that um, parents, I don't know if symptoms is the right word, but like some signs that maybe your child is being cyberbullied and then what kind of problems emotionally this can lead to such important information for adults to be aware of. Some of the key signs that your child or a child in your life may be experiencing cyberbullying are things like um, hiding more of what they're doing online or being more secretive with that, um, just more anxiety and stress and irritability um, across the board, withdrawal from social activities or certain places where they used to spend time or enjoy doing things, just more anxiety, stress, uh, low mood in general. Um, kids who develop maybe uh, 
physical symptoms, about going to school in particular, that's a big one. If they are being cyberbullied by someone who goes to their school or maybe is in a group or an activity that they you know, attend, kids pulling back from that and, oh, I've got a stomach ache, oh, I've got a headache, oh, you know, I don't wanna go, that can be a big sign if that's developed all of a sudden that, oh, what, what's going on there? Um, and certainly kids just expressing more fear and anxiety in general around, you know, going to sleep, leaving the house, things like that. So those are some of the common signs um, to be aware of. Um, and from a mental health standpoint, there are significant concerns that arise for kids of all ages who are um, who experience bullying behavior, whether it's online or offline. Um, we know that rates of anxiety and depression go up significantly in kids who are on the receiving end of bullying behavior, particularly if that's chronic over a period of time. Um, and those issues, especially the depression um, and the social isolation that can result from that can lead to increased risk of suicidality. As you mentioned at the opening of our conversation, some recent news stories around young people who have taken their lives as a result of the depression and the isolation that they have felt related to bullying. So the, the mental health risks are significant and the research data continues to bear that out, that kids on the receiving end of this, and I don't like to use the term um, victims because I think when we put ourselves or kids in this mentality of being a victim, that's not a very empowering place to be, but right. people who are, kids who are on the receiving end of bullying behavior are at a significantly increased risk of developing these kinds of mental health issues for sure. Right, I agree. Um, I think the victim mentality definitely does um, kind of keep us from being able to move forward and make positive changes. So, I mean, and it already is an uncertain time period for teenagers that, you know, between maybe sixth and seventh grade through midway through high school is just a really tough time for kids. And I think it's, it's very hard to get kids to open up with some of the struggles that they're facing. So I can see that cyberbullying would definitely be a topic that they maybe just didn't want to talk about, but it is important as parents um, to be watching for these signs that you've mentioned and to do other things that we can, which I want to get into that a little bit more. But first, I wanted to ask what you think about, because in some of the schools, I know that they have um, different bullying programs for, and I know this goes for bullying in person and then also cyberbullying, but one of the primary ways that I have noticed that schools um, try to teach children about this is by using, I guess you could almost call it scare tactics, where they'll mm -hmm. have the police officers come in and give like a presentation about cyberbullying and this kind of thing. Do you think that scare tactics work? And, you know, what, what do you think would be the best way for us to supplement what they're learning at school? Um, I think in general, especially with preteens and teens, while scare tactics may be effective for a certain amount of them, in general, they're not the most effective way to handle it, mainly because at that developmental stage, kids think they're invincible, right? That's mm -hmm. never going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the big problem with only using scare tactics. Now, I do think it's important for kids to understand what 
bullying and cyberbullying are and what the potential consequences of that behavior may be, because a lot of them just aren't aware that it can create a significant legal problem for them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I find that they are very unaware of is the fact that anything that you put out there online creates a digital footprint for you for both the person who is doing the bullying and the person on the receiving end, the things that are posted online, while kids tend to think of, oh, you know, it was just on my Snap story, so it was gone, you know, after a short period of time. It's like, no, no, that still exists out there. That, that leaves a permanent footprint unless the app, you know, you petition them to somehow take it down. And kids don't think about the long-term repercussions of that. that future employers, future colleges you're applying to. People are Googling, people are looking on these platforms and this type of behavior, this type of communication, the information that's put out there, you know, about people that stays and, and creates a reputation online. And so I do think it's important to educate kids about that and to let them know the seriousness of it and what the consequences may be, both from the standpoint of how the school might handle that, as well as you know, local law enforcement or you know, whatever. But I think we really need to go beyond that. And we need to be talking with kids about not only why it is that they might be prone to engage in some bullying behavior because the reality of it is, while we don't like to acknowledge it as parents, there are, you know, a lot of kids either, you know, covertly or overtly engaging in this. And we think, oh, that wouldn't be my kid. Well, teenagers do a lot of dumb things, right? And they say impulsive things and can get themselves in trouble. So talking about what it means to be on the bullying end of things and how they can manage that differently but also empowering kids to um, take care of themselves and, and know how they can respond if they are on the receiving end of that. You know, going back to that whole idea of being a victim versus you know, feeling empowered around that, we really wanna empower kids um, around the idea that if you're on the receiving end of this, there are things you can do and you do not have to be powerless in that situation. There's um, a really effective program that comes out of some university research that really has you know, three main steps, and you talk about it in different ways depending on the age of the kid, but it's about being clear to stop, to tell the person clearly, I don't like that, you need to stop, that's not appropriate, walking away, or in the case of cyberbullying, exiting yourself from that situation. I'm not going to continue to engage in this conversation with you. I'm not going to respond to this. And then telling somebody. And that's a very empowering set of three steps that puts the person on the receiving end of that in a place where they feel like, I don't have to be a victim or powerless in the face of this. I don't have to accept this. I don't have to feel like this is just the reality of my life. I can take some concrete steps to protect myself, to say, no, I don't need to uh, be a victim to this and to move forward. And I think putting, uh, giving kids skills to feel empowered in that way not only helps them deal with the reality of a bullying situation they might be in, but helps them build resilience as a human being for moving forward in life. Because the reality is we deal with mean or inappropriate people all the time, even as adults, right? And so the more we can give kids some communication and, and some other skills for how do you handle it when peers are behaving inappropriately, that serves them well moving forward. 
Oh, I totally agree. And you brought up something that I was just about to ask you as like basically how to deal with it when your child is the one doing the bullying. Cause yeah. I know a lot of children who get bullied will then start bullying. Yeah. Um, so how do parents deal with that? What would be some tips for some parents if they find out that their child has been bullying another child? Yeah. I think the first step, as with anything as parents, when we find out that our kids have done something that is upsetting to us, is to try to stay calm and not overreact and approach the child in a firm but thoughtful way, as opposed to blowing up and saying, how could you do this? You know, this is so embarrassing. This is terrible. You're a terrible person. None of that is helpful. But to say, you know, I've become aware that you've had some inappropriate communication, you know, with somebody else online. We need to talk about that. I want to understand what's going on. Where's that coming from? To have a curiosity about that and try to get some communication about what's going on. Very often, kids who are engaging in bullying behavior, that's rooted in some issues that they're having, whether it's low self-esteem, whether it's, uh, you know, issues going on, uh, you know, in the family or feeling like they are, you know, not performing well at school or issues on their side of things that when we start to delve into it and really understand what they're struggling with on their end of things, that really gets to the root of it, right? Instead of just saying, don't bully, to get to the root of why are they engaging in this in the first place? And it's almost always rooted in um, it makes them feel better about themselves. They're not feeling good about themselves or something in their life. And, and we need to understand that as parents and adults so we can get to the root of that. So we really want to seek to understand the situation and then support the child with that, but also be very firm and clear that this is not appropriate in our family. This is not how we, uh, you know, uh, speak to one another. This is not how we as parents expect that you're going to communicate and behave towards others and putting some firm limits and boundaries in place and saying to the child, you're going to need to do some work now to show us that you're able to manage communication online, uh, be responsible for this in a way that we feel comfortable starting to give you some privileges and some access again um, you know, to these kinds of uh, apps, forums, whatever. Kids, uh, kids now, you know, a, a lot of them when they come into my office too, they feel like um, they have a right, this, you know, inalienable right to have their devices and have access to all these things. And I really reframe that for kids and parents. No, it's a privilege. Mm -hmm. It's a privilege when you're showing that you have the level of responsibility, of communication skills, of thinking skills to handle these kinds of things in an appropriate way. And if your behavior is showing that you aren't right now at a level of responsibility to manage that well, it's our job as parents to pull back on that, to maybe do some skill development, to get them some counseling or support, whatever needs to happen. And then we try again with it. And we say, this is really up to you. When you can show that you can manage this in a healthy and appropriate way, then we'll try giving access again. But I think too many parents throw their hands up and go, oh, I don't have any control. There's nothing I can do. Well, there's a lot that you can do. Um, and I think that parents forget that. Oh, we do. Definitely. And I think especially those of us with very strong willed 
teenagers, uh-huh. it's like, I think a lot of times we do feel like our hands are tied, yeah. but it's nice to have someone um, professional like yourself to remind us that we can take back our power as parents. And this is where I feel like Custodio comes in. So can you mm-hmm. explain a little bit about how parents can use Custodio in a situation mm-hmm. like this, where one, where your child maybe has done something online that, you know, is not you know, right. And also in a situation where maybe a child is being bullied, how can Custodio help parents as a useful tool for, you know, dealing with these issues? I love this question because it gets to the real practical nature of what we can do as parents to support Mm -hmm. our kids with this stuff. Because The goal is not to just take all access away. Kids need to learn how to appropriately manage their lives with technology and with these things because that's just the reality of the world that we live in. But apps like Custodio help parents by making it simpler and easier to implement the kinds of things that are helpful with our kids. So one of the big things that I promote is parents who are going to give their children access to these kinds of devices need to accept a responsibility for guiding and teaching kids how to engage and use those devices in healthy ways. And that means we need to be engaged with it. We need to be monitoring what our kids are doing online. Now, that doesn't mean we should be looking over the shoulder of our 17-year-old constantly, you know, managing that. But for younger kids, yeah, we should be more aware. And then as they show they're responsible, we can ease up with that. But Custodio helps parents to do things like, um, you know, monitor the apps, the websites, the chat rooms, the things that kids are accessing. Very often kids, especially as they get older, are not very forthcoming with that. You know, oh no, I'm not, you know, involved in any of those kinds of things. And even from a safety standpoint, you know, for parents to be able to log into the app and clearly see the kinds of things their child is doing, that can help spur helpful conversation. You know, I noticed you're accessing this. Tell me more about that. What kinds of conversations are you having with people on there? What are you seeing on there? Those types of things. Um, For parents to be able to block apps and sites that they believe are not appropriate for their child, um, you know, at that particular age or stage in their development. And again, it's going to look differently for a 10-year-old than for a 17-year-old, but we need to be engaging with that and not just handing kids a device and crossing our fingers and hoping that, you know, nothing bad happens or they don't get in trouble. So, you know, from setting up time limits and enforcing that to, to blocking sites, to being able to see what kids are doing and engaging in conversation, I look at an app like Custodio as just an opportunity to support parents in engaging with their kids around their device use and developing healthier habits. Um, and, and you raised the, a good point about when you have a really strong will child. And of course, the kinds of um, kids and teens that I work with at my clinic tend to all have various types of developmental or, um, you know, mental health kinds of issues, behavioral challenges. Where custodio becomes very helpful also is reducing physical power struggles that can ensue because I've had parents come in and they're like, you know, I've said to my child uh, in the case of bullying, for example, you know, the school let me know you did something really inappropriate. You need to give me your phone. And some kids will literally engage in physical altercations over not giving up the phone. And where custodio or even contacting your service provider is a really nice tool for parents is you don't even need to physically get the phone from the kid and get into that kind of altercation. You can simply go into the app, 
or call your you know, service provider for the phone and have the data shut off, have access online shut off. And that really puts parents in a better position of being able to enforce the limits that they feel are appropriate without potentially getting into really contentious verbal or physical power struggles, which I think is important. Wow, that is a lot of really good information. I appreciate that so much. And especially um, with those power struggles, because I thankfully have never experienced that with any of my six kids, like a physical you know, give me that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But there's definitely the battle of wills that has gone on. And I certainly feel for the parent that has to deal with the, um, just, you know, flat out refusal to give the, um, yeah. phone back or whatever, not something that had across my mind, but I guess mm -hmm. you have probably seen all kinds of this in your, um, profession. And I wanted to mention before we go, I know before when we talked, I had read, you have a blog. Can we mention your blog mm -hmm. and what you write about there? Yeah, absolutely. So my blog is on my website, drberkins.com. And my blog really focuses on all different topics related to child development and mental health that, that is meant to be a support to parents and professionals as well, but prim primarily parents who are just wanting resources, support, guidance for how to address challenges with their kids, but particularly children who may have struggles with things like attention, anxiety, mood, behavior kinds of issues to provide helpful information and practical strategies. Um, and as a mom myself, I think that brings that additional element that I'm not just you know, speaking from the standpoint of, well, this is as a professional what I think you, you know, should do. I have four kids between the ages of 13 and 19. Um, you know, right now I've, I've been in the trenches with it and I think that's, that's helpful to bring that perspective too. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Nicole, for sharing with us. Your wisdom is going to help a lot of people, I am sure. And I, I just can't say enough how much I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Please write and review so other people can learn about this podcast. Find out more about sleep, hygiene, eating healthy, tasty recipes, zero-waste lifestyle, and lots more on thatorganicmom.com. Help us spread the word. Be blessed and stay healthy.